Hello and welcome back to another episode of Our Generation on Air. My name is Alex Fillmore. It is just a few days before Christmas and therefore it is only days until a set of fixtures kick off that we as fans love and managers, I assume, hate. Uh, so, joining me with plenty of festive cheer is, of course, Dan Lambert. Hello. It's good to be back. I haven't been back on for, I think, three episodes now. Oh, yeah, two. you've missed a few, uh, which is unusual for you. You're quite consistent with your appearances. Um, yeah. But lo- nice to have you back on. Uh, so, we do have Preston to look back on. Uh, there is Cardiff on Boxing Day and Luton on the 29th. Uh, but before that, do you have any idea why this particular episode would be a special or unique episode? No. No, not off the top of my head, no. So, no I, I kind of hoped not, because this is the 75th uh, Our Generation on Air episode. I was actually... I should, meant... I should know that, I should know that, but well, no, I didn't. It, this is the thing, like, I've also included the um, old podcast that was on a different feed, which... Is that cheating? Back. I mean, not really, because it's the same thing. I mean, I was on it, you were on it. There were some other people on it as well that no longer appear on the podcast. But, that, you know, there's you know, there's, there's a few episodes there that um, go right back to sort of, I don't know, I think the last episode we did on that podcast was about whether Warburton should be sacked post-Wickham. Which feels like a long time ago, because it was a long time ago, let's be honest. That was Wickham away, wasn't it? Yeah, Wickham yeah. away. In that sort of, it was like a the pandemic hit season where you could get in for some games, you couldn't get in for every game though. Yeah, no, I remember that, that was a dull game though. Yeah, so 75 episodes of this uh, nonsense... <laughs> Um, I was meant to sort of mention when we ourselves reach 50 in this sort of like new rebranded version of the podcast, but we've gone past that. I forgot to mention it. So it was a couple of weeks ago. I think it was when we played, um, it was when we played Millwall was the 50th episode for us. The right, sta- okay. standalone 50 episodes of uh, the new, dare I say, improved our generation on air. Um, so moving on from our own sort of like pat on the back sort of congratulatory <laughs> exchanges there, uh, <clears throat> there was there's just a little bit more housekeeping to keep up with because it's been a long time I guess since the last podcast, um, and not quite sure where the World Cup was in state of play when we did, recorded the last one, but since then we had the World Cup has finished, but most importantly. Um, Ilias Chair got onto the pitch for the second half against uh, Qatar versus Croatia in the third place playoff. Um, and I just wanted to mention it because for me, watching it whilst also watching the pressing game, th- this was, I-, I-, I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing because he hadn't had a sniff all tournament, had he? Kind of, you can maybe understand based on, you know, the the outcome of where they've got to being in the semi-finals and, I clearly don't know a lot about Moroccan football. But it was fantastic, wasn't it, to see him go onto the pitch? Yeah, I mean, I, unlike you, I didn't actually watch the game. Uh, I've learned from, from many years not to not to watch two games at once because I just can't concentrate. Uh, but no, I mean, it's a good... Um, it's definitely a good experience for him, both on and off the pitch. Um, and I'm kind of glad for it. Um, 
that he kind of enjoyed the occasion because we saw him after quite a lot of the games celebrating on the pitch. That was probably the most time he had on the pitch. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good experience for him, and I'm, I'm pleased for him. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen like in the boost of his Instagram followers alone, he's like. <laughs> He might even be a major celebrity now, and he didn't. He only played forty-five minutes. Like this is, it, it, it's only it can only be a good thing. Um, and I kind of echo what uh, West London sports journalist Ian McCullough said right at the start of the tournament when the squads were announced. That the fact that Senny and Ilias were in the squads in the first place, the fact that they're there, shows that to a certain extent the club is heading in the right direction, and it should be you know quite rightly uh, applauded that they've got there it's even better when they get onto the pitch and honestly I celebrated it like we'd won the league I, I was so happy I'm, I'm so proud of someone that I've never met in my life but I don't know about you and I'm pretty sure Michael would agree with this but he's elsewhere at the moment but I feel like such a that because Chair's been at the club for so long and but what he's sort of you know his his development throughout the club I get the feeling that I'm very, we're all quite connected to him and sort of like invested in his journey as a footballer. So to see that sort of transpire and see him uh, come on, it, it really was, I felt really proud of him. Yeah, really? no, I'd, I'd echo that. Um, yeah, you do feel, you do get that sense that he does love the club. I know, I know loyalty in football's virtually non existent, as we well know. Um, oh, that. Oh God! What a line to bring up in these but times. In, in terms of in terms of chair, though, um, you can see he does have loyalty to the club, um, and he does he does care for them. So yeah, I echo what you say there. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, you know, he's not listening to this, but we were all delighted that he got onto the pitch, and congratulations to Ilias, uh, because it's richly deserved. And I think any professional footballer, no matter how good they actually are. If your side's getting to the semi-finals and you've not been involved in one minute, despite the fact that you're of course happy for your teammates, you will be, you know, in yourself, you'll be sort of thinking, I want to get on here. So the fact that you got 45 minutes, brilliant. Delighted with that, very happy. Um, now you mentioned the fact that you don't watch two games at one time because you get distracted. I did get distracted, and I think in the second half I probably watched a little bit more of the World Cup than I did of the R game. But having said that, pressing away, even though it probably was bitterly cold, this was good, wasn't it? This was really good. Yeah, well, yeah, it was definitely good. I think it was more nerve wracking at the end, seeing us try and hold on to a one 0 lead um, in, in typical QPR fashion. You never know which way it's going, but from a first half perspective, I thought we were totally dominant. Um, created so much territory in their own half and. Uh, it was, it was unfortunate we didn't really score to kind of capitalise on that. Yeah. Um, I think my kind of feelings about the whole experience is summed up. Maybe not summed up, but I, I really enjoyed the video that they put, that QPR put up on their Insta and probably on Twitter as well. Uh, Albert Dome is sort of like in the corner. He's doing a few sort of tricks. And I think it's their number six. Who's Lindsay. Lindsay. Uh, he comes over kind of shepherds him away. He's get, got him in the corner. All of a sudden, number two, Fernandez comes running in from nowhere, fouls a Doma. And you can see that Lindsay's visibly frustrated and very angry with the fact that his teammates just given away the free kick. 
And I just thought it was a nice little sort of encapsulation of how we managed to shit house our way to a victory over Preston, which is good because normally they're very good at getting the one nil shit house three win um, with a dodgy goal. And, you know, like I just thought that was a really nice thing to see. And it kind of summed up that whole sort of element to the game. No, it was. Um, no, it was enjoyable from that sense because we've had quite a few um, against us this season. But then again, the next game could be could be the exact same for Cardiff. So you kind of got to take them as you, you come, really. Yeah. Um, so the goal then, let's look at that in a little bit more detail. This, Dan, I guess, is uh, corner routines at its very best, isn't it? You know, clearly they worked on this on the training grounds. Everyone's where they're meant to be. And, you know, when when something like this comes off, I'm sure they'll be delighted. Yeah. Um, when when he said he worked on it, I was a little bit, I don't know, it took me by surprise slightly because I don't know how you can work on that. So, Did he actually say that? I, I said all that well, as he a said, joke. No, well, like, Critchley Postmatch said that they'd worked on the routine the day before in training um, and that like, the small details matter, which uh, I can totally agree on the, the second part. Um, but for me, we've kind of got fortunate in the sense that there's three Preston players at our front post, two zonal, and Ledson completely misses the first contact. Um, and once that happens, it's kind of it's done to kind of put a toe in, and uh, you could say that's goal of the season if you're, if you're Jimmy Dunn. But um, yeah, well, he sticks a leg out at it, and he kind of <laughs> does his somehow. It's sort of like. Uh... It's Jordan Hugo less, isn't it? Because even though it's right in front of the goal, it pings off the underside of the crossbar. So like he's done his best to miss it in the sense in the same time. And I couldn't quite believe what you know. Again, I was distracted by the World Cup, and you know I think at the same time Ilias Chair was taken on Luka Modric. So you will forgive me for uh, you know focusing on that a little bit, but it kind of. Not to say it was lucky, but like it, it kind—I couldn't quite. I thought at one point it was going to be called for a foul. Like it, it, the ball seemed to ping around. It, it wasn't quite sure what sort of what part of the body it come off uh, when it crossed the line and stuff like that. The, go, the pressing goalkeeper grabbed at it, sort of chuck, fell into the back of his own net. It wasn't necessarily a pretty goal, but at, at a certain point, you don't need pretty goals to win games of football. Clearly, do you? No, no, and I thought on the on the set piece um, topic, I thought Powell's deliveries were quite consistent. To be fair to him, uh, and I thought generally the variation was a few different routines. So I think the first half there was one where they kind of started at the far post and ran ran backwards towards the penalty area type um, type move. So there's definitely um, an onus on working on these set piece routines without a specific uh, coach uh, like like we had with Harry Watley. So that's 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 pleasing. Let's talk then, you know, we, we've talked about the ugly side of winning, but let's talk about the, the the more attractive side of winning. And that, I think, was performances of Tim Rabunam and Andre Dezel. Because I think Dezel was a surprise for a lot of us. Um, <clears throat> he was, in fact, called Premier League quality or something along those lines by a Preston fan post-match, which, uh, you know... Caused some sort of laughs, I guess, amongst some QPR fans. But I thought both of them played incredibly well. Driving forward, in, in particular, Dezel, that's something that we haven't really seen before. 
Um, you know, he's quite sort of he likes a, a, a an attractive pass, but actually driving forward with a run, that's not necessarily what we've seen so far in his game. But both of them were really good, weren't they? Yeah, I think I think with Critchley's system, he kind of gave them the onus to kind of have a free reign as, as such. Both of them were kind of these uh, free roaming number eights. Uh, I think it, an improvement in that sense was the kind of off-ball movement, kind of making them runs. Uh, we go back to like the start of the uh, prior to the World Cup break, didn't really have that from the midfielders, kind of that lack of um, like proper chance creation. We kind of saw that with them uh, at Preston. Like Zero Boonham going on a few runs, I think one of them hit the post. Um, and like you say, Dizel played well, so pleasing from that perspective. Um, and yeah, as, as long as we can have those kind of uh, movements from the midfielders to kind of support attacks, that can only benefit us. Yeah, uh, let's right then. I'm trying to find my place in the script here. Uh, right, substitutions. Last week, me and Dan talked quite a bit. No, not Dan, Micah. I was on with Micah last week. Um, <clears throat> we talked about the bizarre uh, situation around Rob Dickey. He did come on at the weekend, uh, ninety plus two. And you know, if you've got anything else to add to that, Dan, you know, please feel free to sort of uh, cast an opinion on it. But I kind of wanted to focus instead on the other substitution because it was just two subs that took place uh, from us against Preston. Shadipo came on for Willock on seventy eight, and Willock has been subbed early in a few other games recently or get well one game recently against Burnley he came off quite early and Shadipo came on again I believe um so you know are we reading too much into this or Shadipo hasn't been involved in the squad since the first couple of games of the season but he's now featured in five of our last six games even though that's quite limited minutes he's still been on the pitch towards the end of the game um you know so in in the sense of sort of like how did he do do you think this is putting him in the shop window perhaps what willock with shadipo and willock oh really. shadipo um so in, in terms of shadipo i think it's a it's an interesting one i think i don't think he has the quality to to be a consistent starter in the championship but i think in terms of profile he's something we don't have in the squad a 1v1 winger that has a bit of pace. I mean, Adome is a 1v1 winger, but he doesn't really have the pace anymore. And, and you've got Willock and Chair who are who are more inside forwards or number 10s. Uh, so I, don't, I do think he has a purpose in the sense of giving us another profile. Um, Willock's an interesting one. I think I think time will tell with this system because it's obviously a wider 4-3-3 than, a, than under Mick Bill. Um, and he kind of reminds me a little bit with Jack Grealish in the sense that when he plays in that kind of system under Guardiola, he's asked to hold the width rather than kind of be the talisman and come inside. So I think I think he could be slightly limited in that in that left wing role to an extent um, with kind of the instruction he has with the shape of the team. But I don't I don't really know in terms of the hamstring stuff. I've seen people say that. I'd rather not speculate to be honest. But um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting one that we follow in a few games time. So do you think that he's um... You know, he's using the squad a little bit better than Beal did because, you know, recently in the, I know it's only 90 minutes that you can compare and the Burnley defeat was really disappointing. But Shadipo and Thomas featured quite a lot in that game uh, under Paul Hall. And then you've also got Shadipo featuring this game. <clears throat> and time will tell whether 
he features more throughout the season. But we've talked quite a few times about how weak the bench looks. You know, um, he came on ahead of Richards, which would he is obviously a Beal signing. But you would expect someone like Richards perhaps to be coming on, someone who has a bit more of a future at the club. Or is it more about sort of using what we've got in this squad? And like you said, Shadipo's got as as a footballer profile doesn't sort of, he fits a bit more of what we don't have throughout the squad at the moment. Yeah, I think the Richard one. I don't know what's going on with um, Taylor Richards. To be honest, I think if he was to come on that game, he probably replace one of Irabunum or uh, Dizel. I think, but Dizel didn't come off um, until the ninetieth minute. The only thing I can think they brought. Shadipo, and I know he at Blackpool, he quite liked that 1v1 winger profile with the likes of Bowler, uh, CJ Hamilton, that kind of uh, type. But the game was quite open at that point. Preston Preston needed to go um, and attack attack us a bit more and leave spaces behind. So, I mean, I was surprised Armstrong didn't come on, if I'm honest, if I'm honest to kind of attack that space and behind the defence. But um, maybe Critchley thought that a bit of pace and a bit of... Um, trickery in 1v1 situations could kind of kind of help us in, in counter-attack situations. Uh, yeah, so like I mentioned, we talked about Dickie last week on the podcast. Um, he comes on 90 plus two minutes. Me and Micah were kind of getting to the point where really Dickie should be playing regardless, not regardless of team performance and stuff like that, but what do you read into this situation? Because he's not started this game, he's not started the game under Hall, and he wasn't near the squad. Not near the squad. He was near the start. Wasn't near the start eleven towards the end with Beal. So, so what do you think about it? Um, yeah, it, it's I don't really know what's going on. Um, I think the Burnley game for me was kind of why, why isn't he really starting? I mean, Dunn didn't have a good performance. Not the team didn't have a good performance in general, but. Uh, it was it was quite painful watching us build out from the back when Burnley weren't pressing us and we kind of lumping long balls into into the centre backs um, paths quite easily and then Burnley just constantly attacking. So in that sense, I thought he should have played against Burnley. Um, and I was surprised after Dunn's performance that he didn't didn't come in against Preston. But I can slightly understand it in the sense that you're coming up against um, Ched Evans and a target man and you want that kind of aerial dominance. So I could see that from a game, uh, an individual game perspective, but I don't really know. Dunn, Dunn's scored now, hasn't he? So he's probably going to uh, be a shooting for Cardiff as well. Um, so he did score, he... but having looked at the highlights, there's a moment in the second half where the ball comes into the box and he doesn't clear it the first opportunity and creates a decent chance. I think actually Powell, for some reason, is right next to him. It's, you'd probably have to look back at this situation over the 90 minutes rather than just sort of like a snapshot in the um, highlights. But he takes a wild swing at the ball and doesn't clear it first time. And there was a big... I felt that there was a problem with that towards the back end of last season and it's carried over to this season. He doesn't clear the first ball. So a lot of the time it comes under his foot. Doesn't he, Unless he's actually going to head it, he actually struggles to clear the ball a lot. Um, so I, I look at the Dickie situation. I'm baffled by it. I, you know, it was said by someone in the week, and I'm, I really should credit them because I'm going to quote them. Um, but they they said to a certain extent that no one in the Premier League is going to buy a Jimmy Dunn. 
Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, but yeah, someone will buy a Rob Dickey. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and it's absolutely true. And <clears throat> but looks, you know, we we know already the market for transferring between Championship clubs is non-existent. I mean, we've seen news today that Ryan Manning is basically not going to sign another deal at Swansea. I mean, absolute shock at that. He's just going to move on at the end of every deal that he ever gets. But that's the only way for players to move on these days because a club cannot afford a couple of million to spend on a left-back or in a centre-back in the Championship. So the only market that exists is selling to the, the boys in the top. And in the Premier League, there is no player that they want more than well that's probably not true but like in terms of what Premier League clubs want from their centre-backs you talk about player profiles Rob Dickey is that profile yeah yeah fully agree um he's a, yeah I mean it wasn't, it wasn't really a surprise to me that when we were first after him that that Newcastle were were potential suitors that we kind of um ended up getting him ahead of so yeah, it doesn't really surprise me that um he's the he's the profile that uh, clubs wanted the Premier League. He's mo- he's more mobile than uh, Dunn. I've said all this before, but um and I think he's just as good aerially as well. Um, I get people like him because he's a traditional centre half. He does the basics well, but sometimes he doesn't. Like you said against Preston, he, he um what one error could have cost us a goal. Uh, the 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 Burnley goal where he he doesn't do the basics right there. So he's got his he's got his um faults in his as well as his bit that being his strength as well so yeah I don't know what's gonna happen with Dickie and I don't know when his contracts up either which is which would be even more interesting the funny thing we've done is that obviously last season he plays a lot uh in a back five doesn't he as that central uh, player in the back five so he doesn't necessarily he has a bit more protection around him which is a weird thing to say, um, considering one of those players protecting him might be Johan Barbe, who's also a bit of a liability at times. But that you know, when you've got three centre backs on the pitch, naturally you're going to be—he's going to be doing less, isn't he? In a part, in a in a back four, uh, you are going to ask a little bit more of him. Um, finally, then on the Preston game, uh, how did you think we sort of shaped up in this? first 90 minutes under Critchley. Uh, were you impressed by what you saw? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, particularly going forward, I thought we were quite fluid, like the Irabunum. We've already touched on Irabunum and Dizel. I thought the rotations either side were quite good with the midfielders and, and wingers and fullbacks. Ethan Laird played really well in the first 30 minutes. Uh, that kind of understanding. He, he came centrally. Dizel sometimes dropped wide. And the Dome kind of pinned them, pinned them uh, on the touchline. So, um, it looked quite fluid from an attacking point of view. Uh, so and we looked organised as well defensively in the second half. I thought uh, we did the basics well. The distances between uh, defenders and midfield midfielders were compact. Um, so the kind of idea that Critchley was saying we need to shore up defensively and be better going forward, it's not been done in one game, but I thought we certainly improved in, in both senses. And you mentioned that Albert Adoma, I was a bit surprised to actually see him start, but do you reckon that's the position that Chair will occupy once he comes back? Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good uh, point, actually, because I think it's going to be quite interesting to see how he adapts that system with uh, two players that kind of almost always want to go cent- uh, move centrally with the ball um, and how that kind of impacts the the shape going forward with the, with the, the use of the fullback. So 
I think uh, only time will tell really, but it'd be interesting to see what he does with that. So as mentioned at the top of this podcast, there is uh, the festive fixtures coming up. And, you know, I, I love this time of year because you've got football happening nonstop every other day by the looks of it. But if I was a football manager, I imagine I'd hate it. I think probably Jurgen Klopp seems to be the one that moans about sort of fatigue and stuff like that the most. So, you know, as per as per usual, when I see those complaints, I just sort of think, try a day in the championship, mate, and see see how he'd fare because yeah, it's like that every other day in the championship. But we have got uh, the crazy Christmas schedule, and I love it. And up first on Boxing Day is a short trip across to a different country in Wales. Uh, we're playing Cardiff, apparently. Why on Boxing Day we're playing Cardiff? I don't know. They seem to sort of... They, they seem to get it right every year, don't they, Dan? You know, if it's not Cardiff, it will probably be like Middlesbrough or something like that. Someone is going to be travelling the length of the country to yeah. uh, watch What did we have last year? What was last year's? I can't. Remember I can't remember off the top of my head. I probably should have looked up before making such a sweeping. No, that's judgment. my. I should be fair. I dropped that question on you uh, just now, but I'm trying to think what it was. What? Why don't you tell us a little bit about Cardiff, and I'll look it up. Okay. Um. Yeah, Cardiff. Uh, not on a great run of form at the minute. I think that's that's quite obvious from where they are sitting at the table. I think they're twentieth. Um. See, they've had a change of manager, but that was kind of. Hudson was in charge when we uh, beat them at home a couple of months ago. Uh, a few good players I really like there. Uh, obviously, Callum Robinson's been, it feels like he's been about in the championship for, for years now with Preston, uh, West Brom, and now now Cardiff, kind of fluid front free player, can play on the left uh, or centrally. Uh, someone who we were after, actually, in the summer, Keon Atete. Uh, he's a really good player. I like um, quick, mobile, strong, um, and kind of like a, pr- a pressing machine. If you like, uh, most notably when he played under uh, Michael Duff at Cheltenham last year. So he's he's kind of an up and coming player that they they've signed, and he, he I think he's on a run of a goal and assist in the last two games, kind of starting to get a cement a place in the first eleven. So. It'll be interesting to to watch up against our two centre backs, see what, how he does there, and then uh, Ryan Winter, I'm a big fan of, um, kind of the number six dictates the play, got a good pass on him, um, and yeah, if we can kind of keep him quiet and nullify him, then they they might struggle in uh, from build up, especially. Yeah. Uh. So in answer to your question, like we didn't actually play on Boxing Day last year, we had the game against Bournemouth, moved to the 27th. Oh yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Keisha so we were actually at home. But um, I think we, we played Stoke at home and then there was a big gap until Bournemouth. Yeah, was there right, some yeah. sort of cancellation? COVID, like COVID. There was a COVID cancellation, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, back to what we were saying there about Cardiff. Um, yeah, they, they haven't won since the 5th of November, have they? So, you know, <clears throat> for a side that seemed to be going in the right direction on the Morrison for them to sack their manager was, I think, quite a surprise for the rest of the league, wasn't it? Yeah, also quite funny though. Uh... <laughs> yeah, well, say, um... say what you think. Don't sit on the fence. Well, no, it was quite funny. anything to to weaken a fellow championship club. You know, means we can finish higher in the in the table. Um, 
But yeah, I think they were doing well. I think they had the, the best expected goals against in, in the league. Um, not that that's something to completely go off, but if you've got a good defensive record in this league, you normally do well. Um, so it was a surprise, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not too surprised they've kind of dropped off slightly. I think they've had quite a few. In, they've had a few injuries. Um, yeah, I mean they're not. They've not got the strongest of squads. They had a big turnaround in the summer, kind of new players gelling. Um, they got. Some, they have got some good players, but I think the goals is probably an issue for them if they don't have Vitete's not starting to fire or Robinson's and not chipping in. Then where do the goals really come from? Yeah. Um, so. Let's look more then at us. What are you expecting across both these games? You can include both both games in your answer here because surely we're going to see some rotation in the side. You think so? Yeah, you think so. Um, but it's it's just how much does Critchley want to want to weaken we not weaken the team per se, but um, how much does he want to change it around tactically for the for the opposition compared to? rotating bodies due to the, the schedule. I mean the schedule's not too bad, but it's still it's still quite heavy if you're if you're a player playing all three of them games. Um so yeah he's kind of got a dilemma in that sense because our depth isn't exactly um anything to, to boast about really in terms of quality. Uh so it'd be interesting. But I think I think I'd fancy him to to know what he's doing in the sense that he'll adapt slightly to opposition with with a big focus on how we're gonna play. Um because Cardiff and Luton are two completely different tests. I guess the only position we can actually rotate in is the centre back. Look, because thinking about it, the central midfield position, we bring in Amos. That's about it, really, isn't it? Because we, we're still not quite sure where mm-hmm. Johansson is with his fitness. So, like, um, Critchley said <clears> in the pre-match that he's back in training. Amos and Roberts have had a week's training, so they're in contention. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Steph's back, back training and Balogun's not, not, not there yet. Okay, so you could possibly bring Dickie in for one of these games just to rotate it a little bit, give one of the centre backs a rest. Potentially, you could see Chair coming back in as well. Uh, he, I saw him in a video today for, released by the club training for the first time since coming back. And like you said, Roberts and Amos. But, you know, at, at the moment, it seems crazy to include Dezel in this, but the best midfield is Dezel, Iribuna midfield, isn't it? Amos doesn't yeah. improve that. No, no, I'd say currently I'd agree, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, not, to, not to reiterate the point, but I think if you want a midfield of kind of three different profiles, that, that is the midfield three you want. Like Dezel, that, that, that playmaker, the Steffi Hansen type field, obviously the, the number six and then Iribuna's kind of a, I'd say he's a special player in the sense that he's quite a rare, rare type of midfielder the way he plays. Um, so yeah, I'd agree that that sense. I think Amos is he hasn't really recovered since he played too many too many minutes against Middlesbrough when we kind of had to get that win over the line. Um, and injuries are a big issue for him. He can't really keep keep consist, consistent. Yeah, it feels like it's gotten for Amos because it felt like last season at times he was actually at last after. A really long time of us sort of looking at him thinking, what on earth was he actually providing to this team? He was actually carving out a place to be in the side and became quite an important player. You know, chipping in with a few goals as well. But that sort of... Like I said, that profile of player isn't... Not that it's not needed, but it's sort of like it doesn't actually improve what we've got at the moment. 
I guess in a game where you're going to want intensity and a non-stop running, a fit Luke Amos comes in really, really handy. But at this point, I don't think not 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 from a sort of boastful point of view, but like at least you can see Dazelle has a little bit of a future. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know where what's where where it's really at with Amos. I mean. The big thing with him is, and everyone says it, is he gives you energy, but he doesn't really kind of give you that technical quality that like, a player like Dizel has. And I think with how fluid our um, attack was on Saturday, I, yeah, I'd be slightly wary with where he fits in with that to kind of maintain that. Um, so I think Dizel and Arabunum kind of suit those those free running eight, eight wheels. And clearly Dizel, you know, multiple managers are seeing something there that can be developed. Uh, Amos, on the other hand, you know, not to his jet, to be sort of just slagging him off purely, but like, I don't know, when, when you've got someone who's injured that often, at a certain point, you know, Field has had bad injuries in the past, but he's managed to leave them in the past, luckily, and Touchwood, he does that for the rest of the season. Amos, unfortunately, hasn't been able to do that. Um, and at a certain point, you can't just have a body like that sort of breaking down every game, can you? No, I think I think um, availability is, is an underrated trait in the game. Um, I mean, I know for our budget and stuff, we have to kind of sign players that, that aren't, aren't that, um, don't have that perfect injury record. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't be with us. But yeah, I think it's, it's quite important, particularly when our depth isn't... Well, I say the depth is all right in numbers, but in terms of quality, you lose one player, then you're a bit you're a bit short short in that area. So, yeah, it is, it's important to, to have players that can keep keep themselves fit. Let's move on to Luton then uh, and tell us a bit more about them. Obviously, they've also got a new manager in charge of them, but under slightly different circumstances, um, the fact that Jones has moved on to bigger and better things in the form of Southampton, uh, they find themselves 15th, but only four points away from us. You know, it, it is a bit of a cliche, but the league is incredibly tight this season. And I think you can validly say that because we have reached Christmas and it's still incredibly congested. We lose two games. We are out of the playoffs and possibly looking at 16th again. But, you know, it's kind of... that That is the state of the championship this season. Um, yeah, they... I don't know. Rob Edwards in charge. How... Have you seen Luton? I mean, it's difficult to say how good are they actually doing because I think they've only actually played one game under Rob Edwards and because they had a game postponed for a frozen pitch. So I don't know. Like you know, I guess on paper Rob Edwards is actually a very good appointment, isn't it? Regardless of what happened at Watford, which wasn't actually anything bad. No, I'd say so. I uh, to be completely honest, I thought Critchley was their perfect fit. Um, doesn't really matter now, but it's, I think I think there'll be a slight evolution with um Edwards at Luton. Obviously, he's quite a well-known possession-based manager. At least he likes that. So to go from like what Nathan Jones has built, um, I think there's a period he's got to adapt though, because you look at that squad and they're kind of it's the perfect fit to play that that kind of way that Jones set them up in with the likes of Morris, Adebayo, pace, power, kind of um backs against the wall type type football but um it'll be interesting to see how he kind of 
tweaks them slightly. But I think it'll be a tough game. Like you say, there's there's not much in it between us and them points-wise. Um, they haven't played a game, so maybe the sharpness come into that slightly. But they they played before on, uh, on Boxing Day, so I'm sure they'll be fine by by the time they play us. But they've got threats. We know we know what happened when uh, we went to their place and didn't really turn up. So I'm sure we're going to have to use that as kind of a motivator in, in, in some way. Obviously, it's a different manager now with us, but um, it wasn't it wasn't enjoyable to watch that game. Absolutely. And where do you see the threats coming from from Luton? Is it the same old ones that we would sort of see under Jones? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, Carlton Morris um, and Adebayo are probably two of the better centre-forwards in the league, uh, in my opinion, at least. Um, so I'd say those two. Um Obviously, they've got likes of Alan Campbell. They've got they've got good players. Um, James Bree. So they'll they'll have they'll have threats like any other team. But it's about about us nullifying them, trying to come out on top, really. Yeah. Um, there isn't really else anything else for me to add on that. Anything else for you to add on the two games that we are previewing? Um, maybe one thing. This isn't on the two games per se, but have you? Seen, I don't know if you've seen it, but I've seen a lot of people. Clamoring that we might need to go back to a back three. Have you? Not. I've not seen people clamoring. I can understand it's that the, it's more the struggling to get Dicky in. Shadipo, yeah, yeah, go back to a back three. I think if we did mention it on the last pod, uh, it came from Dave McIntyre, didn't it? He said that probably Shadipo and Thomas shouldn't actually be starting ahead of whilst Dicky's on the bench, and I can kind of see that. But like, if you're going to play. You know, if you're going to play a certain formation, um, which clearly we've been trying to this season with four at the back, your best centre back should be playing regardless, and and that is Rob Dickey. So it it, it I, I can see his point. If if they're gonna if they're struggling to get Dickey into the side, then just you know play a back three and whatnot. But I I personally don't want us to play a back three. I only want it. So that's a sort of like last case scenario. Because it, it would be a bit weird, sort of like not including, say, Willock or something like that, because you're trying to play a f- certain formation, I guess. But um, I think Willock fits into majority of positions that we could sort of force him into. Um, Dickie, likewise, should just be playing. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I think I just, I just think it's a little bit um, not wish washy, but. Like you've got you've got one of your best players on the bench. Oh, you've got you've got said players. What what's the best thing to put them all together and kind of just it's kind of like a new toy type thing where I mean I get it was after the Bernie game, but it was very reactionary. I thought some of the opinions. Do you know um, what it feels like? It actually feels like they're you know, we've had the World Cup and international management is very different to club management because mm-hmm. international management is very much a case of you fit what you can into a certain style. Yeah. Whereas club football, you des- you design a certain style, hopefully. The, the sort of reaction to let's have three at the back, that feels a bit sort of international managing, manager sort of-esque. It's like, uh, like Scotland. I don't mean to force a Scotland point in here, but Scotland play five at the back because they need to fit in Tierney and Robertson into a side. So how do you do that? You have Tierney at left centre-back and you have Robertson playing a conventional left wing-back. But you also kind of play them 
you allow Tierney to bomb forward and sort of down the left-hand side, at least, you play a sort of Wilder-style overlapping centre-back. Yeah, that, no, I think that's I just, a bit what it feels like. Yeah, I think I think on just on that point, I think people I get the point in the sense that playing a back through would suit the centre backs and the way we use the full backs, or at least we did under Bill. But I think you've got to think of how it then impacts the centre centre mids. Uh, the likes of Dizel, does he play better in a two? No. Um, does he play better with a bit of freedom in a three? Yes. You've got Willock and Willock and Chair with Dykes. How do you how do you fit them too? Because you're playing a, a back through the three midfielders, you're playing a three five two. And that doesn't suit either Willock or Chair. Um yeah. so I think I think people are I don't know, people need to think of it in a bit in a bit more context, a bit deeper level, I think, at least. I think as well, like we don't we haven't actually seen how Iribunum would play in a back five, but I'd wager when you've got three players there that can sort of allow him to sort of get play his game a little bit easier and he's not having to pick up half the role of another player. It's exactly what we were saying about Steph last season. Yeah, It became a bit too complicated at times for him to <clears throat> just play that two in in that double pivot, whereas you would prefer him to have a little bit more freedom. And we've, we've seen that this year when he has played in a three, he's been brilliant. Um, you know, Sam Field kind of is the only beneficiary from that because regardless of his role, he just tackles players and passes the ball on. That's what he does. He does that in a two, he does that in a three. Um, maybe under a different manager, it would be slightly more revolutionary, I guess, and it might be slightly different and he might be asked to do a little bit more, but he certainly didn't do that much sort of like finding a progressive pass under Warburton, did he? No, no, not at all. <clears throat> So I think that's everything that we've got to cover this week. So we will leave that there. Thank you very much for Dan for coming on. And uh, we will be back after the Luton game at some point in between that and the game on the 2nd of January, which I think is Sheffield United. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you are going to any QPR home games in the uh, distant future, so the Luton game or the Sheffield United game, we will have columns in both of those programs, as I understand. So please do purchase that and give give us a read, you know, sort of see what we're writing about. I think it's Sam Taylor that has the Luton game and I have the Sheffield United game. I cannot tell you what I'm going to be writing about in the program because I haven't decided yet. <laughs> even though even though there is so much to talk about with QPR, you, you can't write about be leaving us in the program can you <laughs> so i've got to find something else to talk about so I, I haven't quite sort of decided what i'm gonna write about yet but yeah i'm sure it'll be good if worthwhile for your time and please please do buy that uh so <clears throat> that is everything for us this week thank you very much to dan for joining us uh joining me and uh, going through everything, we've had you, you had a slightly better week to talk about than Michael last week with the three 0 loss to Burnley. You know, a one 0 win away from Preston is better, isn't it? Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, so uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Follow both of us on Twitter. Follow our generation on Twitter, and subscribe to this podcast and whatever platform you are using to listen to us at the moment. Also, if you feel like uh, leaving a review, you can do that on Spotify. You can do that on a website called Chartable. Um, and that is a nice way of us sort of you know, knowing that there is more than five people that listen to this podcast uh, so yeah thank you very much for listening Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you all and to all your families thank you very much 
once more and for the last time listening until next time come on you ask.